Hello and welcome to the Waking Up to Grace podcast, where we celebrate and explore the finished work of our Lord, Jesus Christ. The Waking Up to Grace podcast can be found on every major platform. And now, here's Lenny. Welcome, everyone. Today we are beginning a study on the first epistle of John, John's first epistle, also known as 1 John in our Bibles. We chose this actually because we realized that there's a huge misunderstanding in 1 John that tends to make people go down the wrong path in their minds and be thinking not exactly in line with the gospel. So we're going to start with 1 John with our study series, and we're going to be going through verse by verse, chapter by chapter. If anybody has read this and maybe Maybe you've been a little lost and haven't had a full understanding of it. That's our goal here is to try to help you understand this with clarity because we've been there and we know what it's like to stare at these passages with your eyes crossed and, you know, want to ask somebody, what does this mean? In the context, let's start out with the context and how to be looking at things. In the context of this letter from John, we see that there's a great persecution happening. The church here is going through terrible suffering. And according to John is the last hour. In earlier apostolic writings in our Bible, the time was near or coming very soon. So this would indicate that something was about to happen. Most scholars now believe that all of our New Testament scriptures were written prior to 70 AD. This belief is not held by all scholars, but upon examination of the reasoning, it is crystal clear to me that it is true. And even more importantly, scripture alone displays this truth. And that's enough for me. I don't know about you, Melissa. That's enough for me, too. (laughs) All right. And we got Melissa on the line as well. Hello. So the destruction of Jerusalem was about to take place, and the prophesied falling away was happening. Under the pressure of losing their lives or being tortured severely, many were going back to the temple worship of the Old Covenant. And now at that time, prior to the destruction of the temple, the law was still being practiced. It was still a physical option to return to that system. Many were also being allured by false doctrines that did not hold to the truth that was taught by Jesus through the apostles. Those were called Judaizers, who would teach things like, we agree about Jesus, but we still have to keep the law. Some also believe the Gnostic mindset may have been developing in the area. These Gnostics would have denied sin and seen things very differently than the apostles. Unlike Paul, who was given the right hand of fellowship and sent out to preach the Gentiles, John, like the other apostles, mostly dealt with a Jewish audience. It's important to keep this in mind as you read. Try and put yourself into the mind of the Jews in the first century in order to better understand what is being said here. John is not writing to people in our culture and in our time period. We are merely listening in on a letter intended for those who it was written to. Imagine coming from a rule-based system of righteousness that was being perverted by the first century Pharisees. Think about what they saw as righteousness. These Pharisees that Jesus called hypocrites and sons of the devil believed they were righteous because of their good deeds and works, according to the law, which they did not even keep correctly, according to Christ Jesus. Any Jew in the days of Christ Jesus would have been following a law-based righteousness and believing they were made right by their works and deeds. It was the mindset they had. It was passed down for many generations. This righteousness, based on self-effort, was not the same righteousness that Jesus taught. 
He taught a righteousness based on his effort that fulfilled the requirements of the law for those who believed. For those who rejected Christ Jesus, the much prophesied judgment was coming. It was the final hour. Keep in mind, at the end of his writing, John states, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence we have toward him. And if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. In other words, John wants them to know their identity in Christ. He clearly felt that was the most important thing for them to realize. And I do think that is how we can apply this to ourselves today. The Christian identity is everything, and many do not fully understand who they are even today. So let's get into it. Melissa, let's start with 1 John chapter 1. We're going to just read the whole chapter, and then we'll go through and talk about it, verse by verse. Okie doke. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. All right. So this, just so everybody knows, I think I forgot to mention, we're going to be going through the English Standard Version, the ESV. So this is the translation we're going to be using in this study. You guys heard the first chapter. That's the first chapter of the first John epistle in your Bible. Let's go through verse by verse, Melissa, and go back to um, the first verse, one through four, and read those. And let's talk about that a minute and kind of break it down. Okay, yes, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. 
This statement makes clear the fact that many in his audience did not share a fellowship with Jesus Christ. At the very least, they've fallen away from the message they heard and that they had believed in the beginning. Would you agree, Melissa? I would agree. And to that point, I wanted to point out the definition of two words that stand out to me. Sure. The life was made manifest. So manifest is to make evident or certain by showing or displaying. Okay. So Jesus displayed himself to them. And that's why they were saying they looked, they touched, you know, they probably hugged him. They they were talking with him. They were hearing him. He was real. Right. And they witnessed it. Manifest, to reveal, to expose, to show, to display. So, yes, he was made real to them. Yep. So that only not only proclaims that he was a human, he took a human form, yeah. but that they were with him. Right. And so that's where a lot of people think that Gnosticism might have been in the midst here because they believed odd things like Jesus didn't come in a human form or he was all spirit or spirit entered and exited. And they had all these odd beliefs, but they denied the humanness. They denied that he was fully God and fully human. And so that's why some people think that it was in the beginning stages of Gnosticism. Interesting. But to me, they could have just been proclaiming their apostleship. We were with him. We witnessed him. He was real and we were with him. We can't say that today. They could say that. And I think that they were possibly just simply stating who they were. We were apostles. We walked with man, God, you know. Right. Certainly that could be. So there's two views and I don't think there's really a wrong one. They're definitely declaring Christ to these people, though. And they're definitely declaring Christ and saying that they want some of these people in the audience to share their fellowship. Yes. And here's another way to describe it. Manifest readily perceived by the senses, especially by sight, easily understood and obvious. Using the Webster's Dictionary, just kind of digging into what that really means. Yeah. So they're proclaiming this. They're proclaiming that what they have seen and heard so that they people in the audience could have fellowship with them. So the other word proclaim. So that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Okay, it says it twice. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Mm -hmm. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. Okay, so. It's not only made manifest, but it was made manifest to them. And now they're proclaiming it to their audience. Yes. And so to proclaim, I've got that here from the dictionary as well, to make known publicly, to announce, to broadcast, to declare, to publicize. So they're publicizing something. Why would they publicize something if something was not already known? That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. They seem to be. There's a reason for that. And I see where you're going with that. I mean, they're they're declaring it. They're publicizing this event or this this message. Right. It only follows that some of these people didn't have it being that he's literally telling you I'm publicizing this so that's so that you may share fellowship with us. 
So him saying us, meaning there was a side that was already with them, and then there was some people that weren't, or maybe there was a division going on. We know there was a falling away happening, it's written of, where people were drifting away. But we also know that there was probably many people that just kind of heard it and never really took to it. And then there could have even been just people within the the group that were kind of new there. Like, hey, what's going on? There's no reason to believe that this is a message only to Christians. You can't get that from this. Yeah, I can't see it that way. It's impossible to see it that way. In my opinion, I don't see how you could possibly come to that conclusion. And when you talk about the falling away, that could either be, like you just said, people that kind of heard what they were saying in passing, but it never it never entered their hearts. Yeah. And then there's other ones who were just afraid. Yeah. So they just, they were chosen. They were believers, but they pushed it to the back of their mind mm-hmm. and ran for the temple. Maybe just kind of forgot or, yeah, there's a lot going on. But it's critical starting out in this chapter that we understand. It's being directed towards people that don't understand. This chapter is directed towards people that are confused, not believing, you know, whatever it is, they need this fellowship or they need to be brought back and restored. Okay. And so let's read chapter five and let's go five through seven. Okay. You mean verses five through seven? Yes. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. So there we have it again, proclaiming. They heard from him and they're proclaiming it to you. So if you are the person in this audience, it sounds like you haven't had it proclaimed to you yet. Right. Like when people make announcements, you know, hey, wedding announcement. Mm-hmm. You didn't know there was going to be a wedding or you didn't know when. Yeah. Baby announcement. You didn't know there was going to be. People... Some of them knew. Some of them didn't. Some of the people, like you said, that the announcement went to, maybe they already got the memo, but others didn't. Some of them didn't, or else you wouldn't be making an announcement. Yeah. So go ahead and finish. I didn't mean to interrupt. I just saw the word proclaim again. Yeah, there's that second one. Okay. That God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So if we look at the beginning of the Gospel of John, we see with even more clarity on this contrast between light and darkness. If you want to turn to John, the Gospel, we'll read the first chapter. We're going to see this contrast in a belief and unbelief. Throughout this writing, the whole writing in this epistle, we're going to see a symbolic contrast like this happening constantly with different words being used. We need to be looking for the meaning of what he's saying. So let's look at light and darkness according to the gospel. And when we go to the gospel and we read chapter 1 all the way through verse 13, go ahead and read that, Melissa. Let's see what this light and darkness is all about. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. So we plainly see here, you know, how the gospel of John and John's epistle kind of start out the same way. And they're talking about light and darkness. And it's also plain to see that the light being proclaimed was eternal life. Anyone in darkness remained in spiritual death or in Adam because everyone born after Adam was born spiritually dead and they would perish. But Jesus came to bring life to those who believe in his name. That life is synonymous or the same as light. I think in verse four is where he really makes it abundantly clear, where he says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light of men is his life that he gave, bringing us to life spiritually, making us alive to God. Amen. If we're not alive to God, we're in darkness. That's who's walking in darkness. It's not the Christian who stumbled into a sin in their life. It's that's not the way he's talking. You know, we don't get that. And you know, the first John one nine passage being looked at as self-cleansing effort that we go through every single time we sin. You just don't see it. It's just not there. But we haven't hit that passage yet. So I'm getting a little ahead of us. Let's look at verse eight. We're going to go back into the epistle of John now in verse 8 of chapter 1. Verse 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. This denial of sin, according to John, could not lead one to this fellowship that they're describing. And they start out talking about wanting to have them fellowship with them and be in this fellowship with that's with Christ Jesus. And he's telling you that if you're denying sin, you're saying, I don't have sin, you can't be born again. If you claim you have no sin, the people that would claim these things likely are those who followed a law-based righteousness. They didn't have the truth. That makes sense. But looking at the word truth here, what do you think he means by that? What does it mean to have the truth in you? That, that would be having Christ in you, realizing you need a savior. Yes. John himself even says it later on in the chapter. We have to read these letters in their full context, and it, it can be difficult going through verse by verse without bouncing around a little, because he tells us what he means, but later. So in 1 John chapter 5, verse 6, I'll read this one. He says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. So the truth is the Spirit. So he's saying if you claim, if you say you have no sin, the Spirit is not in you. Why isn't it in you? Because you can't come to Christ looking for a Savior if you don't have any sin. You haven't been humbled. <laughs> right, and it makes sense what you said, that those following the law, they would think that they were 
they had themselves covered. Yeah, they were doing all the things, following the rules, so they didn't need a savior. Right. But they didn't hear the teachings of Christ, obviously. He was showing them what the law really meant, what their sin really meant. And he was showing them a different kind of righteousness. Let's go ahead and uh, look at the famous 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So according to John, if we agree with God about our sin, if we agree with what Jesus taught about the law and righteousness, if we admit that we're not good enough on our own and that we need a savior, he gives us a full and permanent cleansing. From all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. How can you be cleansed from all unrighteousness and have anything left? You can't. It's done. Like he said at the cross, it is finished. That's what he's proclaiming to them. So to confess your sins is simply to say, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. It's to realize. They had to realize that the law wasn't enough. Right. They had to realize their works weren't doing it. They had to realize that they were sinful, even though they were thought they were practicing the law perfectly. Because Jesus came to fulfill the law, and he told them these things. If you read the Gospels, it sounded harsh the way he was teaching, but he was teaching a people that were hard-headed and thought they were righteous on their own efforts, errantly. Think about how hard it is for people to change, especially as we get older. Mm-hmm. And this was just going on for generations. Yeah, generations. I think they said 14 generations it was passed down. And so to be expected to change on a dime like that it just doesn't happen you can see how well through christ anything exactly that's how it happens through christ you, you can see why there were so many that were so stubborn about it yeah how many were really solid you know the guys that wrote this they were solid but you know why were the apostles constantly having to correct things in their letters is because most of the audience was struggling Right. It was hard for them to grasp. Right. Paul was always checking up on the church. Yeah. So, so we see that the, the Spirit doesn't just make us perfect. It doesn't instantly renew our minds. The apostles were divinely given this truth. They had spiritual gifts, spiritual authority given to them directly from Christ. Paul was taught in the desert for so many years. And same with the disciples that became apostles. I mean, they, they learned it just directly from Christ. So it's no secret. And even they stumbled, you know, Peter's sitting with the Jews and, and not the Gentiles. And then you have all these things. But to stay on track, First John 1, 9, yeah, it was a tough thing for them to grasp. The realization that all they had to do is realize they're sinners and accept the Savior. And that was it. It's one of those, it's too easy. Yeah, it's almost too easy. But I'm like, no, well, what do I do then? <laughs> you know right there was a struggle going on with culture with uh, like culture shock belief shock yeah right so they needed that message it's important to put ourselves in their shoes as you said earlier yeah yeah this wasn't written to us it was for us not to us verse 10 Melissa. if we say we have not sinned we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, who would go and say a thing like that? Come on. We know what sin is. 
But here again, we see a sin denial. If you are following the laws and regulations of the first covenant, you might say you have not sinned. Look at the rich man that Christ Jesus spoke with. He proclaimed the very thing in Mark chapter 10. He's, Jesus rattled off a bunch of commandments. And he's like, I, he's like, teacher, I've kept all of these from my youth. And then Jesus said, sell everything you have and follow me. And he, Jesus was showing these people that it, it wasn't, there was never enough. That was the whole point, the whole thing. These people thought they were doing enough. And John was trying to correct this law-based thinking that was spreading in the church and leading people back to the temple, thinking that they would find security there, avoid persecution. Think about it like you hear this message. If you were new to the message at that time, you heard John speaking this message, put yourself in their shoes. You know you're going to get killed, possibly. You know that you're going to get hated. And you're hearing this message. That'd be a tough pill to swallow. Right. Humanly, there's no way it would happen. But God willing, the message was spreading, even though there was all this stuff going on. I mean, why in the world would somebody believe something just to know that you're going to possibly get tortured and die? But you can't help but believe when he chooses you and opens your eyes. Exactly. Only by the grace of God. Only by the grace of God. So that's that's the first chapter of John. You have anything else to, to add to that? Oh, I think we covered that pretty good. You m did mention something about Jesus being born of water and blood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna definitely hit that when we get to that. Okay. I'm not gonna go in depth about chapter five yet. Okay. I knew you were gonna ask that. Excited. I knew you were gonna do that. I don't miss any details. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Well, that should do it for First John chapter 1. And so then our next study, we'll start look at chapter 2. So there you have it. That's, that's the first chapter of First John with our commentaries and explanations and discussions about it. And next week, we'll be hitting First John chapter 2, and we'll go through that and talk about it. So if you guys are interested, I hope you join along and come with us through the the first epistle of John. Maybe you'll even read ahead. Yeah, you can even read ahead and be prepared. If you have any questions, let us know. Or... Yeah. So signing out. You guys have a good day out there. Thank you for joining. See you next time. Thank you for joining us today. This podcast is brought to you by Waking Up to Grace Ministries. You can visit our blog page, add comments, or reach us privately from our contact form at wakinguptograce.com.